The scripture reading for today is from Jonah 1, 1 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us, give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given us in love. Good morning again. Over the past several months, uh, we've been walking through the greatest story, and we've been encouraging you to read um, from Genesis on in your Bibles, and then to read with your kids the Jesus uh, storybook. And the whole goal of us walking through these passages and this great story is for us to grow, not just in our knowledge of God, but our experience of his love and our intimacy with him. We see in Genesis that God created the world and he invited us to help spread his dominion. Yet we chose to rebel against God and bring about domination instead. God's secret rescue plan is to restore his dominion. And we see this through his covenant with Noah. We see it through his covenant with Abraham. As he called Abraham, he blessed him and established a nation of Israel, blessed Israel so that they might to other nations. Now this morning we're looking at the book of Jonah. 
God's reluctant messenger to bring about flourishing to Nineveh. And as we look at our text this morning, we see two things. First, we see running from mercy. And then secondly, we see mercy running after us. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we are grateful this morning just for the privilege of being here. The privilege of being able to worship you. And Lord, uh, acknowledge that many of us come this morning with our hearts filled. Some come this morning with hearts full of anxiety. Some come this morning with hearts full of sadness and loneliness. Some might be here and they don't even have a relationship with you. And they're just curious. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would use your word to transform us, to heal us, to make us more into your likeness as individuals and as a church. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you, you can open your Bible apps or open your Bibles. And the first thing that we see as we look at chapter 1 is running from mercy. Now, the Jesus storybook says this. It says, God had a job for Jonah. And then as we look at verses 1 and 2, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was a powerful nation. And as a powerful nation, it did not like other foreign nations. And so it would try to swallow them up. And the Assyrians, they were a huge threat to Israel's existence. They would be like China to Taiwan or Russia to Ukraine. A nation that delights in domination. And the Jesus storybook says, calls them your worst enemies. A bad people doing bad things. And to Jonah, the Ninevites are the others. He wanted to preach to anyone other than the Ninevites. He would care about anyone other than them. They were a threat to him. They were a threat to Israel, and therefore he did not want to go. But God says to Jonah, Jonah, I can't stop loving them. They deserve a new start. And if they repent, I will forgive them. I love those who are different from me. I called Israel to be a nation so it might bless other nations. And I created you, Jonah, so that you might be my mouthpiece, so that you might be my prophet. In verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. The Hebrew here literally means calling, a person's identity, a person's meaning for living. God says to Jonah, like Rafiki says to Simba, Jonah, remember who you are. I created you to subdue the earth and fill it. I created you not simply to witness, but to be a witness. 
of the great story I'm unfolding to the nations. Jonah, you are the son of Amittai, a Hebrew. You are a great prophet. I have blessed you and called you as an ambassador of Israel so that you might preach to the Ninevites and that they might repent and follow me. Now, you hear God's call. What is Jonah's response to God's mercy being poured out to the Ninevites? The Jesus Storybook says, well, Jonah runs away. Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now Nineveh was in the northeast and Tarshish was in the southwest. And so Jonah went as far away from Nineveh as he could get. He fled to the opposite end of the world. And not only was he disobeying God's call to him, he was also disobeying the very fabric of who he is as a son of God. Jonah was very much like Prince Harry, who renounced his birthright and the privileges and the responsibilities that would come with it. Jonah, he renounces his identity as a son of God, created to be a part of God's restoration. Jonah, like Adam and Eve, said to God, I want to live my own way. You do God and I will do me. And so I wonder this morning, as we begin to walk through this text and we hear of Jonah running from God's mercy, are you running from God's mercy today? Are you running from being a part of God's restoration? His great rescue plan? Are you running from who you were created to be? A witness to your neighbors, to our city, and to the world. The temptation for all of us is to run from our calling. To run from who God created us to be. But the good news of the book of Jonah is that we have a God, when we run from his mercy, we have a God who runs after us. Jonah thought he'd come up with an incredible plan. But as Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 states, there's no outrunning God's mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And so what does God do? God runs after him. And how does he do it? He sends a great storm. In verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Now, this wasn't just an ordinary storm. It was a great storm. It was a hurricane. And we know this to be true because the sailors, who had been through many storms, panicked. In verse 5, each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
the men above deck were keenly aware of the storm and how this storm was going to overtake them. But not Jonah. Where was Jonah? He had laid down below deck and fallen fast asleep. When we run from God, we might feel guilt at first, but if we continue to run from Him, our heart begins to harden, a fog. And that fog causes us to slumber, causes us to sleep, and sometimes causes us to not see God's pursuit of us. And in Jonah's case, it enabled him just to be sound asleep while there's a storm raging all around him. But again, the good news of this passage is God is relentless in his pursuit of his children. His mercies never end. The storm, it didn't wake Jonah up. So what does he do? God sends the captain down below deck. I love this in verse 6. The captain says to Jonah, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Basically, the captain tells Jonah to get your butt out of bed and call out to God. There's something greater going on here. And while the captain is below deck talking to Jonah, trying to convince him to wake up the sailors on deck, they've exhausted all of their resources. They've cried out to their own gods to no avail. And so what do they do? They turn to a great ancient Near Eastern custom of of casting lots. And so they cast lots to find out who was responsible for this great calamity. And God's pursuit is relentless because in verse 7, the lot fell on Jonah. And so what did the men do? God used these pagan guys to go down to Jonah and to call him to repentance. They ask him, what in the world did you do, Jonah? Where do you come from? Who are you? You see, God sometimes brings storms. James calls them trials into our life to call us back to himself. And sometimes he uses the most out-of-the-ordinary people who maybe even don't even believe in him as instruments of his mercy and grace. These pagan sailors, they call Jonah to repentance and faith. Who are you, Jonah? What did you do? And when mercy catches us, when God's mercy catches us, we begin to remember who we are And then we begin to surrender our lives to the Lord. Jonah, in that moment, begins to remember his true identity as God's son. He says, I am a Hebrew. I belong to the nation of Israel. The nation God established and blessed so that it might be a blessing to other nations. So that God's dominion might spread. So that the great rescue plan might go forth. Jonah begins to remember who he is, but he doesn't stop there. 
he then surrenders his life anew and afresh to the Lord. He says to the sailors in verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now the men hearing this plan, they begin to also have faith in God. They've seen all that God has done, and they don't want Jonah's blood on their hands. And so instead of listening to Jonah and throwing him to the sea, what do they do? They begin rowing as fast as they can in hopes that eventually they'll row out of the storm. But their plan didn't work. And therefore, in verse 14, these sailors who once worshipped foreign gods, now fearing the Lord, cried out to him. They said to him, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done it as you have pleased. And so they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the water. The Jesus storybook says, No sooner had Jonah hit the water than the waves grew calm, the wind died down, and the storm stopped. And as Jonah was flailing about in the water, I love this picture. Because even in Jonah's disobedience, God used him as an instrument of light to these sailors. Their hearts were transformed. And as Jonah was in the water, these sailors worshipped God on the deck. They bowed down and they offered sacrifices to the Lord, to Yahweh. And then God could have let Jonah perish. He should have let Jonah perish for being disobedient, for running from him. But his mercies, they never end. He sends the storm. He sends the captain. He sends the sailors. And then as Jonah is in the water, he sends a great fish to come and swallow him, to provide safety to him, and then to eventually spit him out on dry land so that then Jonah can obey God's call to him and be a a witness to the Ninevites. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. He calls them to repent of their evil. The king says, everybody put on sackcloth and ashes. And the whole population of Nineveh, 120,000 people, repent. In chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. God's heart is not just for America. Unfortunately, the church is buying into Christian nationalism. That is not God's heart. That is not biblical. God's heart is for the nations. God created you and me to be a light to our neighbors, to the city, and to the world. And sometimes we run. We run from our calling. We run from being a witness. 
But the beautiful thing about the, the story of Jonah is that God's mercy, it always pursues after us. And when his mercy captures us, when his mercy meets us in our sin, we repent and we turn back to him and we proclaim the good news of the gospel. And so I wonder this morning, will you let God's mercy catch you if you're running? And as you receive his mercy, will you offer mercy to others? Who might be your Nineveh today? We're starting a new fall season. The kids are going back to school. The college students are back in school. We're getting back into normal rhythms with work. Who is your Nineveh? Who is the other, the person that's different, the person that's difficult for you that God might be calling you to go and share the good news of the gospel? When I was 16, I became a Christian here in Greensboro through Young Life. I was at Trinity Church that was very missions-oriented. And Roy Putnam, who was the senior pastor, he, every year they'd have a huge missions conference. And I remember sitting in my first missions conference, hearing them say, missionaries, that God is calling us to go to the world. And I can remember sitting in those seats saying, I'll give money, I will pray, but I am not going overseas. I love my creature comforts. And just, you know, again, every year, junior year, senior missionaries come in, and so then I went on to Carolina, got involved with InterVarsity, loved caring for my neighbors in my dorm, loved sharing gospel with the gospel with people around me at UNC. And then this, my staff worker said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about going overseas in the summer? And I was like, yep, nope, nope, not going to do that, right? I'll support whoever's going, but I'm not going to go. And then in 1987, my staff worker, Kathy Rowlett, convinced me to go to Urbana 87. And the theme of Urbana 87 was, should I not be concerned for this great city? And so for four days, every morning, 20,000 students gathered in the assembly hall at the University of Illinois, and we heard a dear, godly missionary walk us through the book of Jonah. And I was resistant that first day. Nope, not going to go. Not going to go. Second day, nope, not going to go. Third day, nope, not going to go. Fourth day, finally, the last thing you do at Urbana is you have communion at 11 o'clock to usher in the new year. And as we were taking the elements, and I remember God's body, Christ's body being broken and his blood being shed, I felt like God was saying, Todd, I'm calling you to go overseas this summer. I don't know how you're going to afford it, but I will provide for you. I was saying, I don't know how important it is. And he said, I'll provide for you. And so I came back to Carolina. I told my staff worker, I'm signing up. I'm going to go overseas. And that summer, I went to, to Austria. I would love to tell you it was the best experience of my life, but it was one of the hardest experiences of my life. And even when I was in Austria, I remember... Um, our team was Operation Mobilization. Uh, we didn't have much food. So all we were drinking was milk and we were eating leftover spaghetti. It was nasty. And I just remember thinking, I can't do this. And I remember calling my mom from Austria saying, 
I don't like it here. And she was like, I'll, I'll send you a ticket and we'll get you home immediately. And yet then I heard God's voice as I was on the phone. And I heard the book of Jonah saying, no, should you not be concerned for these Austrians? And I said to her, no, I need to stay. And the rest of the summer was just a beautiful time of meeting and loving and caring for the other. People who didn't speak my language, people who didn't hold my beliefs, going door to door trying to share the gospel in German when I didn't even speak German. God pursues after us even when we run. And I ran for years. You might be running now, but God will pursue after you. And God might not be calling you or me to long-term missions. I believe in all my heart that everybody should taste being overseas at some point in their life and have the opportunity to share in different nations. But there's someone here in our city that God is saying to you, hey, I want you to go because I love that person. And I want you to share the good news of Christ to them. Will you do it? I want to pour out my mercy to them the way I poured out my mercy to you. Now, left to ourselves, that's impossible task. Left to myself, it was impossible task for me even to go to Austria. Left to myself, it's impossible task for me to be your pastor. And yet, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who had the comfort of being in the Trinity, hanging out with the Father and the Spirit. And God was saying, hey, I have a rescue plan. I want to send you, Jesus, to the other, to a world that's full of sin that you've never tasted of, that you've never seen, to a people who will yell at you, who will spit at you, and who will eventually hang you on a cross and kill you. And what did Jesus do? He didn't run from God. He ran to him, and he obeyed him, and he came. And we did. We, we hung him on a cross, and he died. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And now he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But he sent us the Holy Spirit. And if we profess faith in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will do the work of preaching the gospel. If we will surrender to him, he will do the work. He will give you the words to say. And he is the one ultimately that will capture the hearts of the lost in the city and throughout the world. All we need to do is just be faithful and to go and be and hang out to ask questions, to listen, to be with people that are other than us. Because God loves not just us, he loves them. And he desires that none shall perish. My hope for Hope Chapel as we enter this fall is that God will stir us in a new way, a fresh way. We've been growing as a church over the past 13 years. And I'm, I'm praying that there is going to be a revival and that God's going to use us and other churches, gospel-believing churches in this city to reach this city 
for Christ and that we're going to see a revival like the revival that happened here in Greensboro in 1970 when Billy Graham came and thousands came to Christ. That's my hope. And that's huge and grandiose, but it begins with our individual faithfulness to him. Letting his mercy catch us, transform us, heal us, and then move us so that we might offer God's mercy to others. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for this incredible book. You used these words to change my life forever. To open my eyes beyond the borders of the United States to see that you care for the Austrians, the Germans that I spent time with, all the Europeans that I had the privilege of walking beside. And Lord, I pray this morning, knowing that you are calling us as a church, not just to witness, but to be a witness. And so will you help us as a church body to move toward those who are different, who that we'd rather spend time with anybody else other than them. Would you help us to move toward them, to listen to them, to care for them, to speak truth of your love and your mercy and your goodness, and that you have a great rescue plan and that they need rescuing. And Lord, would you bring revival in our city like the revival that you brought in 1970. Lord, the harvest is plentiful. Lord, may we be your messengers as Jonah was your messenger and ultimately as Jesus is the greatest messenger and we have his spirit living in us. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.